You're listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 411. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our journey with Joss Whedon's HBO Max creation, The Nevers. We are recording on Memorial Day in the morning, and I hope everybody's having a nice holiday. Of course, by this point, you will hopefully have a nice holiday, but, uh, you know, so... You said you're going yeah, well, over your if parents? Your, if your holiday was uh, standing outside in the rain watching field hockey for two days, then you had the kind of holiday that I had. Yeah. That's what I was telling my wife. It, it's, you know, this time of year is huge for tournaments, and, and her uh, younger brother still coaches uh, girls travel soccer at a, you know, reasonably high level. So they're always playing. And she's like, well, they're not going to play on Mother's Day. Oh, yeah, they are. Yeah, of course. <laughs> But uh, anyway, in in terms of a little bit of news, uh, I'm sure everybody that is a Ragnarok fan knows that it has dropped on Netflix. And as we have said periodically over the last month or so, we will be covering season two once we are finished with the Never. So uh, have you have you started watching it yet? No, I'm going to try and be a good boy and uh, and wait till we actually uh, podcast on it. Well, you know, the one thing that I did notice as I just you know saw the trailer it's not not even the trailer but you know when you're on netflix and if you've got that selected then it starts playing a trailer or whatever it's like everybody looks so much older than they did before i don't know if you've noticed that or even well i haven't seen like i haven't seen the trailer or anything yet either so i don't um, think it gives much away but so anyway after after dark though man after we we broke down that uh the, the trailer on dark and there was really spoilers in there i'm just like you know i don't i'm, I'm not I'm, I'm not watching trailers anymore i'm done with yeah them. i hear you um well let's do a, a real quick uh, what we're watching since we've got so much to talk about with the nevers um uh, we finally were you know at that point i say finally it seems like we're like this every few weeks but we were struggling to find a show we finally went with Da Vinci's Demons, which is on stars. And for whatever reason, I had had this idea in my mind that it was a detective show. Well, it's not at all. It's, you know, Leonardo Da Vinci in his early years, okay. 2014. But it, it must be karma or whatever, because it stars Tom Riley, who we know as Augie Bidlow, as Leonardo. And, and that's hmm. certainly not why we chose it. Last night, my wife wasn't really in the mood to keep going with Leonardo. She likes the show, but um, okay, fine. We'll find something else. We found this mini series, uh, also on Stars, and I can't remember the title now. But it, it's set in Ireland, and we said, okay, description looks good. Let's watch it. And the lead is Anne Skelly, who of course is Penance Adair. Right. So, dude, I don't know, but. So far, so good. And I said to my wife, it's like, well, we still haven't seen her in anything where she's wearing contemporary clothes. She she does the uh, late 19th century really well. But anyway, so what are you watching? Well, it's uh, funny you should mention how a show that you're watching now has people from uh, the Neversent because uh, this week I started watching Britannia on Amazon Prime which is a difficult to classify show i think but it's uh, you know basically about um the second roman invasion of britain you know, like julius caesar originally invaded 
uh, way back and then just kind of never really established any kind of colony there left. And then under Emperor Claudius, he sent an, uh, once again a, a major invasion. This is what we know is like the Roman occupation of Britain that continued for about the next 300 so years or whatever. Uh, so uh, David Morrissey plays the, the Roman general in charge of this. And there's some other people you know we've seen before in there. Um, what's her name? Um, uh, Zoe Wanamaker, who's been in a bunch of stuff. She was in Shadow and Bone, I believe. And also the Harry Potter movies uh, plays one of the, um, you know, the, the Celtic uh, chieftains. And a kind of bounty hunter type character is played by none other than Laura Donnelly. Wow, nice. Who plays, uh, you know, obviously Amalia True on The Nevers. And using her, you know, she's a Northern Irish girl, I assume what is her her accustomed uh, voice and accent in this, but still the voice is unmistakable when she even, yeah, at first is like, because like, I mean, from going from Amalia True to a, you know, first century uh, warrior bounty hunter person it's a big costume change so I didn't so I, I knew like I'm like that's a face I, who's that and then she spoke I'm like oh okay I got it so uh, pretty good show Little, there, there's some weirdness in there a lot of supernatural freaky stuff uh, some very funny stuff it, it, it is I would call it uneven you know it's not an unqualified great show there are certainly some really very good moments to it but you know sometimes it gets a little too weird and too supernaturally for me a little bit but uh you know i liked it cool um, wow it sounds like something i'd definitely be interested in yeah check it out well you gotta get amazon prime first oh uh, well, you know what that, we're yeah, probably like, getting closer to uh making that leap but uh there's a lot anyway, of we'll stuff in there yeah. All right. Well, let's get to The Nevers. This is episode four of season one, titled Undertaking, written by Madhuri Shikar, directed by David Semmel, aired on May 1st, 2021. You know, you mentioned last time about the non-touched as the monsters of the story, and, and, and I still agree with you, but it reminds me of Whedon's use of monsters as metaphors in Buffy. And I know you haven't seen Buffy other than, you know, the first two episodes that we covered, but I know a lot of the listeners had, and it drove me to a book that I've mentioned before, why Buffy matters, which uh, is one of the plethora of literary scholarship pieces written about Buffy, the vampire slayer. And there's a chapter in there called when Harry met Buffy. And I went back to that because what it really does is discuss and examine all the parallels between Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Harry Potter and, and the way both stories are constructed. And it got me to thinking, all right, well, this is Whedon here. Uh, are there going to be any parallels to Buffy and, and maybe even uh, Harry Potter? And I thought, you know, maybe down the road that might be something – that we can talk about. Obviously you are really well grounded in, in the Harry Potter story. And, and I think I'm pretty well in, into Buffy. Yeah. The, the whole monsters as metaphors in Buffy. I, I think we see a little bit of that here in the nevers. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's even funny because in, in this episode we get, you know, like a guy who, you know, I mean, probably the two biggest quote, unquote monsters that are like, like supernatural monsters, whatever, 
the guy with the gun hands, who he's gone, right, I think. And then we'd say Odium, too, right? He's a very monstrous-looking person. But but yet, uh, as Nimble says, you know, he's just he's just dim, right? He's like, don't don't be mad at him. You know, he's, he just kind of does what he's told. He, he, so we get this idea of, of a guy who just last week appeared to be so ferocious and, and horrible. Now we kind of maybe see, I'm not saying like, also like, oh, he's a great guy now and everything, but, but we see a different side, you know, a, a nimble kind of, uh, he's a very interesting character um, already that I, I already, I, I like the guy a lot just because he can take, you know, he has that kind of broader view of the whole situation, I think. Yeah, I, definitely. I, I agree with him as, as a character. Let's jump to the elephant in the room. And that is what I feel is the, the major reveal in this episode. And that's about Amalia True and basically what her backstory is. And I'm going to say I was kind of right saying she is from the future. I mean, in that little conversation she has with Penance on the, on the steps and Penance says, uh, you know, I guess you've been to a lot of funerals. And she says, we don't have them when I'm from. I thought she said where I'm from. No, I went back and listened to it really? like three she times. Says, she says when, when I'm oh. from. And okay. then, of course, she makes the reference that we don't have the space or the time. Right. So then, um, you know, again, another callback to. Which I thought when she said that, she meant she was from like Luxembourg. <laughs> but um, no. So, so then we go back to that line early in the series. This is not my face. Right. Well, what does that mean? Are we right. now talking about a situation not unlike Travelers? Where right. whoever she's with, that somehow they are occupying bodies that already were here? So, I, I mean, to me, this was a, a, a just a really huge turnaround. And, and yeah. then I went back and... It was a picture that I can't remember if I used it anywhere in the Facebook post or whatever, but it, it was in episode three where she's sitting in front of her mirror. She's just kind of looking. She's got this odd look on her face. And, and now I'm thinking, is she just looking still not fully able to feel comfortable with the face that she sees reflected in the mirror? Yeah. You know, my, my thought was – very much like what you said, except instead of her being from the future or a time traveler, I thought she was like from just a different world. Like that ship was like an alien ship that somehow released little light aliens out of it that then came to inhabit other bodies and that maybe she just got like the leader of the aliens or something. That's why she's the only one that we really get to feel like it, it's someone inhabiting I, I think you're absolutely right with like it's, it's definitely like someone or some other personality inhabiting the body of this woman um that amalia true is not the person the personality in there but i thought it was an alien though not a time traveler but then you said 
she said when we're from, not where we're from. I always thought I just I never I never went back really. I just watched it a bunch of times and I just assumed she said where I'm from. So I thought she was from an alien world. But if she said when, then your theory definitely seems to be holding the water right now. Yeah, and, and then I wonder, you know, because she follows it up with that that comment that we don't have the space or the time, and I'm wondering, okay, is it sort of a callback to the epitaph? episodes in dollhouse you know that that she's come from this post-apocalyptic future again not unlike travelers that they are trying to fix things so that their their world can not fall to pieces i mean well she says the word epitaph right she says that like because they she's in a place where women don't have a voice and she said that that will be the world's epitaph and you know that for me that with Joss Whedon, you know, I'm like that word really resonates, right? And again, I, I always hated it when people like would be watching, you know, some show that like J.J. Abrams did and assume that every single thing in there, every single word related to the, to the L word. You know, just for me to to use that word epitaph, I'm like I. I I didn't think it the first time, but after like the I think I've seen this like four or five times this episode. This time I thought. Oh, epitaph, like epitaph one. Like, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what what I've really come to the conclusion about The Nevers is that it is one of those shows that I don't want to say that you'll never get to the bottom of everything that's there, because I guess if you spend enough time that you probably could go through it line by line word by word almost and most of us are not going to do that but but there's just so much here and as maureen has i think tried to subtly point out in her uh feedback over the last couple weeks without spoiling anything is that you know now when you go back and look at episode one it's like oh okay that's what that means and right well especially i mean like we had noted the this is not my face but at the time we're just like like I thought she was just kind of messing with the, the, the beggar King. And he was, you know, just like, that's just a line you throw out there just to freak somebody out, you know? Um, But yeah, now absolutely. We see that there is definitely a lot more significance to that line now. Right. And then we get to, I'll go ahead and jump to the end. Once uh, Myrtle has translated Mary's song, which again is such a great, narrative device and and the fact that they realize and, and i'm trying to think of who who it is that says it it's not it's not myrtle it's uh you know the, the young woman that was helping her translate oh harriet harriet this isn't myrtle's voice is it <laughs> you know and, and we we get uh-huh. the idea that somebody's speaking through her right and, and it's just such a great well it's like someone speaking through mary through myrtle so it's like right. it's almost like kind of like the telephone game here you know exactly and when we when we break down the actual message you know the first thing you are not alone and refers to amalia as my lonely soldier so again is lonely soldier simply uh, you know, a, a metaphor for something else that she's not a literal soldier. I don't know because then there's that whole uh, idea about uh, her wearing stripes, 
And right, right. I mean, yep. I mean, I suppose that could be prison, but I'm, I'm guessing not. But, but yeah, but with all the, I mean, that's not the only reference to her as a soldier either. Um, right. Doesn't cousins? Someone calls her. A soldier. Yes. Yes, you he know. does. Yep. Right. So you know, so so yeah. So I mean, I think we definitely say from where or whenever she is from that. So I think for sure we can say she is not this. You know, you know, working class Londoner that is Amalia True. That is some other personalities in that person's body. I, I think you're. I've I actually. I'm gonna. I'm just gonna give over to your uh, your theory and say someone from the future. But I, I'm, I'm gonna add the, a spice of mine there. Say she's from a future alien world now, so I can just get add a little bit different angle to the theory. Um, and that's and for sure that she's a soldier. I think we've had enough references to that at this point that we can write that one in in pen. Right. And, and then just her reaction as it's being translated, where it, it just overwhelms her emotionally. And again, it's not a side we really see of her because she can't afford to let the others see her in, in that vulnerable state because they look to her for, you know, more than just simply leadership, I think. So. Yeah. You know, the the other thing that I wonder is how much penance knows about Amalia because she doesn't seem shocked. Now, when she says, well, when I'm from, we don't have time, you know, maybe she like most people thought she said where I'm from. But even at the end when clearly something monumental has happened as Mary's song is being translated and and the idea that this is someone else's voice speaking through Mary, Penance doesn't seem all that shocked by any of this. So I wonder, you know, what she does know, if anything. Well, yeah. Well, if anyone would know, well, I mean, I guess there's two people, Dr. Cousins and and certainly Penance as, as the two people that Amalia either does or would confide in. So right. if anyone would know, I would say it would probably be penance. Right. And, and that does seem to be the the little triumvirate uh, of the power structure, you know, the three of them. So like you, I, I'm kind of now feeling like maybe he knows more. I don't want to say then he's let on because that would imply that he's deliberately keeping it from us just that more than he's revealed to, to this point who's behind Mary's murder. Are we to just now understand that it's Lord Masson? Yeah. Yeah. I I think, I think that, that again, that that is 100% verified. And that scene is so weird because the first time I saw it, I was confused um, at the, I was confused by like, first of all, when, like how Lucy, how she figured out Lucy was a traitor. It took me a couple episodes before I figured out what Lucy had actually said that kind of busted her on that. You know, how she came back from Masson's saying, oh yeah, he's he's the guy. He did it for sure. Because, you know, on, on the surface, his analysis is a, you know, not unlike OJ's book. If I had done it, here's how it <laughs> yeah. would have gone down. Right. right, which is like to me, like for both that book and his little monologue here, baffles me why you would even under the guise of you know I I'm not saying I did it, but if I had done it, 
here's how it would have been done. It's, 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 it is like an admission of guilt. Now, the first time I saw it, I just went, well, he didn't really implicate himself. But the, the more I watched it and, and listened to it, I mean, you can see, especially at the end, he's getting really, you can see he's, he's worked up about this. And, and he knows, like, he's able to just add too much detail to this. And I think we'd said before, like, like really, who else has the juice to get that guy out of prison, right? I think yeah. Lord Mass is probably already high on our list of suspects anyway. And, and I think we, along with, um, with Amalia, can, can verify his, him as being the, the guy behind it. So to uh, use more Buffy the Vampire Slayer terminology, which is, has worked its way into the television lexicon, he is now the big bad in this story. All the evidence points in that direction, and I agree with everything you just said. I wonder, though, if it's a subtle misdirection. I mean, you know, the, the, the scene at his mansion, and I love the fact that she decides to drive penance's car there and i wonder if she's simply making a statement by doing that rather than taking a carriage yeah that little role play that that they engage in that you were referring to where he basically gives his little speech that sees mary number one as a casualty of war and amalia's like oh we're at war well yeah i mean you've known that and and again that that war reference that she is at war and, and my feeling is we're going to find out that she was at war where she was from and or yeah. when she was from well again, again soldier yeah. right yeah exactly so it, it's something that she's been prepared for and we've talked about her combat skills and yeah. i think i always assume that these were learned which they of course were just not in 19th century london but yeah. the other thing, right. well, but I mean, I just have to put it here that in Britannia, she also is a super badass. Um, I, I don't really know any details other than, and, and I don't know if you, how far ahead you've seen in the nevers, but there is another female badass that's apparently joining the cast that I'm so looking forward to. Not right. well, there's, her- there's already a couple as it is. Yeah, but but this is one that hasn't appeared yet and it is uh, in a show that we both really love. But his his speech also seems to imply that the government would want Mary dead to make a point because of the threat that the touch pose on the empire. Now, I, I guess we could argue that, yeah, but he kind of represents the empire. Sure. To a well, that's, that's why he is the big bet, right? Exactly. He's like, you're at war with England, but basically, like he's... I am England, right? Right. Well, the other thing, I don't know if you noticed, is he uses the phrase a deliberate plague to refer to the touched. And right. I think we always get the sense that whoever is behind this did it deliberately. Of course, the question is why and what their end game is, but you know again we don't really have right he, he blames it on an, an anarchic cabal oh, you're right right so yeah it's uh, and this is i mean this is is uh politics from the the dawn of time right that the blame of on outsiders and and everything 
you know, right, that that all the problems are, are based on, like, just, you know, what in the turn of the century, anarchists, right? They're the, they're the guys lurking around the corner trying to overthrow society and everything. I'm making the sign of the cue, but you can't see me right now, so. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, I assume we'll get some more revelations about who is actually behind this. Uh, the other thing that, that I find totally fascinating is the development of Malady's storyline. You know, we find her in the superintendent's office. What's that thing called? A garrote? Is that what yes. it's called? That she's yep, right. actually, that's the word I put in my notes, actually. Yeah, okay. garrote. Yeah. Um, a Sicilian necktie. I apologize to all those. A Sicilian extraction. I know not um, all people from Sicily are, are mobsters, but uh, that's the other kind of nickname for it. You know, one of the things I was, again, trying to explain to my wife about Whedon and his use of language and dialogue and all of his shows, and, and I know he didn't write this episode, but I'm fairly certain he was in the writer's room when they were talking about it, and, and that, you know, when Frank is in the outer office before he goes into the superintendent's office and, and his buddy knows he's in trouble. And that and just that, that little line, you know, well, can I have your desk implying that Frank's about to be fired or yeah. whatever. Right. Right. But, but then he gets in there and he's presented with a situation, not at all what he was going in prepared to deal with, but does malady allow herself to be captured? Yeah, because she goes back to slap him. Yeah, like right, like she's running for you know, I you know, literally her life. I you know, I guess because they things don't look great for her all chained up at the end of this thing. You know, and, and yeah, it's it's yeah because for for someone, well, you know, again, I just I, I would have to say yes, and I think she has some larger plan at work here that. She need to be captured because obviously Malady has, I'm not saying easily eluded capture, but the only person who came close to getting there was Amalia. And, um, you know, the cops have had nothing on her at all. So the, the fact that, you know, when she's running away, I'm not saying she was free and clear, but she certainly had a, a, a pretty good start on Frank, but she came back to slap him. Yeah. Why would she? Why would she do that unless she wanted to be captured? In which case, I mean, someone as clever as Frank Mundy, he, he must be thinking that as well. He must be thinking, like, she could have run away. Why does she want to be captured? Why does she want to be here? You know, like, not unlike, you know, what I kind of like thought about the Joker in, in uh, The Dark Knight uh, Rises. Not The Dark Knight, just The Dark Knight, uh, the second of the Christian Bale Batman movies where he also is captured and, and that by cap get, being captured is actually allows him to spring his nefarious plan. So that's what I'm kind of thinking is, is what's going on here. Right. But then we see her in jail, as you said, in chains talking to God is my assumption at this point. She, she makes reference to the fact that this is not the plan. I've always been your instrument and we've talked about you know the religious connections that come up surrounding her character, and that uh, you know in her mind she sees herself, I suppose, as an instrument of God in her in her adult mind at this point. But 
yeah, when she says not, this is not the plan, uh, like you said, this is not the Joker, right? The, the Joker, clearly that was part of the plan. So, you know, maybe we're going to see her regain her wits and do something. But, you know, at this point, I it just doesn't make any sense why right. she would want herself to be captured, because that certainly seems to be the case. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it definitely looks like there's like, you know, she's completely chained up. So there's nothing she could do to escape. But I, you just feel like she's got something up her sleeve and that this is just part of it. You know, a lot of thematic threads in, in this episode, women's rights. I love the little exchange that we have with Harriet about education that clearly she wants to go to school and wants to go and get a higher education. She wants to be a lawyer and apparently she has taught herself enough about the law to be useful uh, for the members of the orphanage. But you know, the fact that uh, Anil is her boyfriend and you know, he is able to go to school, and, and, and that's something that, while she doesn't blame Anil for the fact that she can't go, it, it just drives home the, the point even more so how wrong it is. And then what she needs is help, and, and you, we certainly get the idea that he at first refuses, and she's like, oh, so you can get a way to come here to sneak a kiss, but you can't. Okay, good. And then, and then you realize yeah. right away, he's like, okay, she got me. I'll help. Yeah. And and then the idea with the the workplace and the journalist the, the the female journalist who is called out by her colleague I don't know if he works for the same publication probably not but you know the whole idea of women taking men's jobs and mm-hmm. just like Penance or Amalia or or any of the other young women at the orphanage she stands right up to him and says i got just as much right as you do and and just that whole idea of the power structure that we've talked a little bit about as as we've been talking about the nevers that that it is a patriarchal society that is extremely nervous at this point that its power is eroding well yeah and that's what we said that's that's masson right masson represents that that old order, the patriarchy, the the racist, uh, imperialist uh, society that was not, you know, not, I'm not saying it was just in Britain, but certainly Britain was probably one of the, at the turn of the 20th century was, you know, probably embodied almost all of that stuff uh, the most uh, across the world. And yeah, like you said, they, they are, you know, struggling against watching their world erode right and it's honestly it's kind of ironic that it was those those very policies that they held on to so dearly were the exact things that led to the destruction and the the you know the breakdown of the british empire yeah and and, you know you mentioned lord masson he also then is involved in the thematic thread about workers rights and his fear of unionizing and and again i love slash hate his line to that one worker come talk to me man to man you know you know implying that it's somehow a a sign of weakness to band together and of course you know with 120 years of hindsight we we understand that that's the only way 
that right. change can be affected Absolutely. is if you do band together, no matter what it is. So, um, you know, we, we get a little taste of that. And, and, and again, you know, Masson represents so many of these ideas, you know, as we've just mentioned. Romantic relationships, I mean, you know, mentioned Harriet and Anil, and I guess what I like about them as a couple is it just, they're, they're sort of the example that the others can have, that just because you're touched doesn't mean you can't have a somewhat normal life and, right. and normal relationships. And, and you know, with our, our witches discussion a few weeks back, you know, we talked about the you know, witches with mortal husbands or vice versa. And, okay, fine, and, and I'm, I'm sure that might happen. But it, it seems at this point that like is attracted to like and you know we don't really know their backstory and we may never learn it and and that's fine uh, you know they, they do other things for the story but also we we get a little taste of maybe where augie and penance are going to go now that she's confronted him and i just love this <laughs> confrontation that's such a great scene that's definitely one of my favorites in the show so far and she just throws him off balance right from the start. And, and, and he tries to even, I forget the exact words he says, but he, he kind of admits that I'm not very good at this. I'm, I'm not very yeah. good at relationships. I'm not very good at defending myself verbally. I'm not. Yeah. And they both are, you know, have, are admittedly inexperienced with, you know, dealing with the other gender, you know. Right. And she even says that where, you know, I don't have a lot of experience with men. And we certainly get the idea he doesn't have much experience, like you just said, with women either. Although uh, that may change if he hangs around. Sure. The, uh, yeah, we see a little, we see some sparks. Look, yeah. some sparkage going on here. But yeah, I mean, the best part of that, to, to rewatch this episode, you, you, you have to really rewatch this to, to really appreciate this because obviously she goes in with actually, well, I thought it was just joking, but actually a pretty firm belief that he was behind Mary's murder, um, which was actually funny when they were discussing it. She kept pushing him as the big candidate, you know, like, and of course, you know, for I mean, we've seen more of Augie, and we know that um, it would be very surprising for us for him to turn out to be some kind of murderer. But so she is talking like about the murder. He's talking about his behavior when they were there at the mansion. So when he comes out right away, it's like uh, you know, uh, what, what's his La- La- Lavinia is that his sister? Yes, right. Yeah, he's like Lavinia made me do it, and she has this shocked look, like. Dude, you just confessed, like straight up, you know, like, and and, uh, and and of course, everything he says, which is you know, from the perspective of apologizing for his boorish behavior at the party, she's interpreting as you know him confessing to the murder, and uh, and finally, when Augie realizes that that's what she thinks, he's just like. What's happening? <laughs> like he's just like as so many of people in relationships. Sometimes we we put ourselves, dig ourselves a uh, a a conversational hole, and then once we're in it, we realize, wait, what did I? How 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 are you mad at me? What did I say? I don't get it. Where where did this go wrong? You know, like so. What did I just admit to? Yeah, <laughs> and, and that realization comes to her that he didn't do it, but you're still terrible. 
Right. And the thing I like, though, is he right away takes ownership of what he's done. Doesn't excuse it. And, and again, I love the fact that, that she makes that clear. Just because you're apologizing, just because you're taking ownership, doesn't make it go away. And he's like, nor should it. And now I just want to do whatever I can do to earn back your trust. I want to be your friend, Miss Adair. So do you think your sister did the murder then? (laughs) Again, just a classic Whedon piece of dialogue, even if he didn't write it. This the way it's delivered. And again, she's just, the timing is just so great with the, the characters in this show. So, um, yeah, that, that, that line was, that was, I was laughing my ass off. Like each, every time, like I, like I said, I've seen this a bunch of times and every time I just laugh out loud during that line. Yeah. And, and certainly we can't ignore the idea of racial equality seen primarily through Dr. Cousins, but certainly through Harriet and Anil as well, because they are certainly not white and you know dr cousins has his little story about the the family that brought him uh you know over to england from jamaica and you know again once they once he got there they i mean he seems to imply they maybe didn't treat him like a servant but they didn't treat him like an equal either so well yeah he said he was ready to swim back to jamaica so that obviously the treatment he got there was was pretty pretty bad so there's, you know, cl- clearly there's a lot here. W- what do we uh, want to go to next? Yeah, I mean, the, yeah, as, as you said, the social commentary here was uh, as they, they nailed it on a bunch of different. I guess. God, there's so much that happened. Well, 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 let me let me go to the warehouse for a second. I know? was about to say, why don't we talk about the warehouse and, and and Lucy's betrayal? Because you know, Amalia. Annie and Lucy go to the warehouse and, you know, they, they find the group of men in the office and, and Amalia would have beaten them, but instead she uses that little robot that I think we assume penance created to dispense knockout gas. And then Amalia wants to make sure no one's in the warehouse before they torch it. Right. Which we, we've, we've got as, as penance is definitely like Amalia's Jiminy Cricket, you know, like that she is that restraining force on her and we saw it before with uh with um annie right and she started punching her and penance was you know took her took her up on that said even though amali's excuse was this is how we talk but she's like no you know we don't we don't do violence right right and it's it's going to be a difficult thing for amalia to let go of because again you know as we learn more about her backstory as you said she's clearly a soldier and old habits yeah. die hard. Well, you know, I'm also just looking through my notes. I mean, Lucy says to her in there, all your war stories, but you don't know which war. Yes. So, and, you know, again, you know, just I, like in case we, in case you missed the other soldier references. You know, like. Right. And when I was bringing that up to my wife, after we watched that episode, she was a little unclear. And, and again, not that I, have this you know immense clarity about it but i got the sense that when asked about wars that she served in she was a little fuzzy on the historical details because you know unlike travelers 
she doesn't have a historian with her to give her a grounding in, oh, yeah, I fought in the Boer War or, yeah, I don't know, whatever wars England was fighting in in the uh, late 19th century. So I got a sense that that's what that comment from Lucy was all about, that you know, she's mentioning being in war, but she's a little fuzzy on the details, So right. which, which would make sense. But the whole feeling of betrayal that Amalia has knowing that Lucy has done what she's done and she's not buying and we're not buying the whole excuse. Uh, well, you know, I did this with, you know, to my son and, and Lord Masson said he could find a cure and we're not buying that. So whether Lucy's just using that. I don't know why else would she do it though? You know, like, like even at, even at this point, we really, we, we feel like we don't, I don't see Lucy as beyond redemption at this point, even though I don't, think we're going to see her again anytime soon uh certainly not in the next couple episodes but you know i I figured i think that's a character they might circle back to but i can't think of what would be her her you know rationale because she does we can see genuine care for the um for, for the the touched and if you go back and watch the funeral scene again she is the one who is the most openly crying at it. And of course, the, the, you know, we could say there's probably a significant amount of guilt with that. But, you know, she's not cold-blooded working against the, the touch. So, you know, I kind of, I buy her belief that, you know, that Lord Masson has some kind of cure because otherwise I can't see why on earth she would, should, should betray um, the, you know, the, the, the people that she so clearly cares for. Well, I guess you could argue that, that there's a sense of desperation surrounding that. I, I guess I look at it from the standpoint that Lord Masson has made it clear that he does not want to move into the 20th century. He's perfectly happy with the way things are in the 19th century, and there's no need for scientific, technological maybe even medical progress as we move forward. So I guess what I'm getting at is what would make Lucy think that Masson has access to the cure? Now, well, other than he told him her, saying, he's, he's, yeah, I mean, okay. he's, uh, she's, she's a, a working class girl, but, you know, uh, okay. most likely very little in the way of education and sophistication of knowledge of, and I'm not going mean sophistication, like as she's a boorish person. I just mean, she like little knowledge of that world of Lord Masson, except that this is, you know, those are her betters, right? Those are the people who they know more than I do. They are better than I am. They have more advantages. They are overall, they know more. There's things that they do and say that I have no access to and no understanding of. So that in that case, it would be, I think, fairly easy for someone like Lord Masson to turn a, a you know, a, a poor working class woman's uh, head and and get her to believe that he had some answers to things or access to things that that she doesn't yeah no no i agree with you on on that you know i mentioned before wondering how much penance knows about amalia's true reality i wonder the same thing now about lucy because she asks amalia if you made this nightmare, which 
I took to mean the touched and the way the touched are being treated. And Amalia again answers, I just got left behind. So I didn't make it, but I'm part of it. Or maybe I'm reading too much into it, but that's the way I interpreted that, that I didn't make it. I just got left behind. I'm just a soldier. Right. So, and then of course we get the pretty cool fight scene between the two of them. But even before that, did you think she was going to pull the trigger? Cause I did. You know, I, 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 now I've, I've seen it enough times. I, I think I've kind of lost, uh, what my original thought was when I first saw it. Um, because I think probably I did think, especially when um, she brought up Mary and Molly's like, okay, you, you lost. I, I had sympathy for you for half a second there. Then you mentioned Mary and now we're, we're done. With the rewatching, I realized how significant penance is and, and her, I don't know what the, the word is, but you know, like how, how penance is so opposed to violence and killing and how, that is really having a true impact on Amalia's behavior. So, you know, now I, I look at it knowing the outcome of, of this, of this episode saying, um, well, yeah, clearly she was never going to pull the trigger because, the, you know, as, as Mary points out, what would that do between you and Penance? Not Mary, Lucy, as Lucy points out, you know, on the other hand, she's really pissed at one point, you know, and, and she's really full of vengeance uh, for, for Mary's murder. Yeah. And certainly Penance's voice is in her head at that point, as she's holding the revolver at her forehead and maybe she keeps it up there for effect to, to let Lucy know that when I tell you you're banished from London, I'm serious. And, you know, you mentioned vengeance and that, that's certainly, uh, you know, part of the play here, but just, just the fact that she feels so betrayed is, is I think the, uh, the big thing and the fight scene is cool and, and all of that. And we don't see a, a ton of fight scenes. Uh, we do see right. a bar and brawl. That's when I picked up my revolver. Right. Mission to Burma. That. Yeah. No. Okay. No. <laughs> but, uh, you, you, we get that bar brawl and again we we didn't really talk about why amalia decides to stay away from mary's funeral because that was a pretty significant step to take because of the public relations angle and even penance doesn't really understand why she does that and i'm not sure i understand nimble actually tells us later because she shook that the the fiddle player right she got information from him about like she was she was trying to figure out who who did mary's murder okay and and so she found out through the fiddle player i can't remember what exactly i I guess she she found that that i guess that the beggar king did not order it it was not odium who well not not odium it was she found it was not the beggar King, but then why did she send Annie there in the first? It, I, it's I, I know she she was doing undercover work basically to to, to figure yeah. out who who had killed Mary, and she got that information from the the fiddle player 
that uh, she that is in that scene. So while we just at first assumed, probably not entirely wrongly, that she is dealing with her grief by, you know, going out and tying one on and hooking up with somebody. But it appears there was also an angle to that. And she says to Penance, I'm trying to find out who did this. Mary, nothing, it's not going to change anything for Mary if if I sit and cry about her. But um, if if the longer it takes us to, to find the killer, the more likely it is that we never will. Yeah, okay. But but I guess the argument would be, yeah, well, you could have carved out a few hours. Would, would that have really impacted your search all that much? But. Well, true. Like I said, I think it's a little of both, right? It's a little yeah, sure. of, of, yeah, I want to get to it. I want to fi- figure this out. I don't have time. Also, on the other hand, as most of us are, that reluctance to, to go to something like a funeral, right? No one likes going to a funeral, obviously. You know, that that certainly was, was part of it as well. But you're absolutely right, especially as the the leader, she should have been there probably. Right. And I can't remember if it's Dr. Cousins she says it to. How much does a fiddle cost anyway? Yeah. <laughs> so, um, right, because she does kind of break that over that guy's head. That yeah. did happen. So. Now, now, a couple things about the actual message. I didn't leave you. I went into inside the city. I was damaged, incomplete. I had to heal. Soon we will all be ready. The word that jumps out at me is the word damaged. A person mm-hmm. doesn't say I was damaged. A person says I was hurt. I was injured. Right. I was wounded. Using the word damaged implies a machine, at least to me. So yeah. you're right. Well, yeah. Well, or, or, but I mean, what machine is able? Well, I guess if she's from the future, she could could be like a, you know, computer artificial intelligence type thing. That, yeah. So I, I don't know. I mean, I had to heal. Then the word heal certainly implies something biological. Something right? biological, as opposed to I had to get repaired. Right. So right, right, true. I, I'm not sure what's going on there, and it could be something that got lost in translation that that's that certainly possible game. but she said to everyone all of us gather and protect each other because of the dark all right fine so whatever this intelligence is it, it's it's aware of amalia and what amalia is doing it it would seem and you might say well okay that's you know, that's like one of those things that the a fortune teller would, uh, you know, I, I see trouble in your future. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> oh, yeah. really? Wow. Yeah, okay. Wow. That's... But then find me, let them help those who will, but come below and find me. So now I guess we're going back to that that blue glowing sphere that was uncovered down in the, uh, you know, wherever that was yeah great that's the only thing that we we've really seen that's underground right right except for the 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 literal underground that they're digging right so yeah also i kind of thought with that too is that that's also kind of like the the hero's journey right like the campbell's you know heroic myth cycle and and the, the hero has to descend into the underworld right so that um but but yeah, so maybe this does tie into that blue thing. That is the only thing we've really seen that is literally underground. All right. Uh, anything else you want to bring up? 
you know, Frank Mundy, you know, when the first time I saw this, I thought he killed Malady because he just slams her head into the side of a building. And we know he's strong, right? He's the East End ape and, and those two guys back straight down when they find out who he is. Um, and then her sitting, lying there, her not moving. I thought, oh my God, he, he killed Mally. That was, I don't know how I, I don't, I'm not feeling great about that, you know? Yeah. Well, you um, see the blood on the wall where her head hit. Right. Right. Um, but then he, he gets up and I guess I figured once he says she needs justice from us. So he, why would he say that if he just killed her? But, but that, right? Like the, the one guy starts walking up to her with a knife. He's like, no way. And then he slams that guy. He's got to think about slamming people's heads in the walls. That, that line that she needs justice from us, that, that we're not going to, you know, and, and again, that's, that, that is a, I, I guess maybe we would say this is the type of police that we're looking for nowadays, right? That, that, ties in with that other social commentary that he's not going to allow her to be mistreated or anything like that, 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 that she's going to get justice. Like she, she will answer for what she's done, but we're not going to, you know, take her into a back room and beat her up like that. Right. And, and it's a wonderful parallel to Amalia and Lucy and, and, you know, in, in the same way, she certainly could have put a bullet in Lucy's head and be done with it, but she's affording her uh, certainly a different brand of justice, but still justice nonetheless. Um, and then tied with that is his confrontation of, of Lord Swan, um, which, again, we're kind of with him, but, but Hugo points out rather pointedly, like, why would I hand out? evidence to people like obviously someone is directing you to 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 think that i was the one who who um you know paid those two guys to come and and heckle the the people at the funeral and then there in that conversation also he says why would i do that and and frank says because she's a rival and hugo says i i think we both know that's not true and you know frank once again takes a kind of a threatening step towards him at that point so um again the the you know i guess confirmed you know pretty much confirmed uh homosexual relationship between the two of them that that frank is still kind of not really you know admitting to right just not comfortable with that choice if that's in fact a choice he's going to make and and again just that that parallel between him and Amalia and, and just the way they react to things. And, and Amalia clearly is trying to pull back a bit. And, and Frank, we're seeing evidence of doing the same, even though when we first are introduced to him back in episode one, oh, you're the guy that likes to use his fist to get information out of suspects. Mm-hmm. So you know, yeah. change out of both of them. Um, and then the last thing, which is probably the creepiest, is that Malady somehow – got into the coffin with Mary. Yeah. And was in the coffin during, like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, oh, like, I just don't know. Sometimes we just don't know what to think about Malady, but, oh, my God. Like, dropping the rose petals wasn't enough. Then her line, I can't believe that's her favorite dress. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> I just don't know what to say about that, but... But again, that that shows 
you know, like, just why? Why Why would she? Do? Well, I mean, I guess everyone said that, you know, thought that it would, might be something she would do would be to show up at, at the funeral. And, and she certainly did, except she did in a way that she would not get caught. But, oh, my God. <laughs> All right. Anything else? Um, well, so Malady says, um, I kill, I only kill angels, mostly. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, Fred addresses that with uh, that. Um, the, the, you know, I guess she, by angels, she means like psychologists, psychiatrists or whatever. Sure, that. guys in the white coats. But uh, but every now and then someone else gets in their way, like the, the, the actor or the singer during the, uh, the, the opera whose throat she slit. So, yeah, I guess maybe the, that's it. There's a lot going on with this episode. There absolutely is a lot. But let's go ahead and get to the listener feedback. And Maureen checked in with us again via email. Hi, Wayne and Dave. Let me just say again how thrilled I am you're covering the Nevers. If ever a show needed your deep sci-fi dive, it is this one. It's a real shame about the anti-Joss mindset. I wonder how many are staying away from a very well-produced show with amazing acting, special effects, production, story, and dialogue. And... Yeah, I've, we've mentioned that just in passing. I've been doing some research to find out what really is going on with that. So, you know, maybe I'll report back. For example. Yeah, I, I mean, we have, like, and for the people who might, like, call us out on not addressing that, like, I know for me personally, I just don't, I've read a little bit about it, but I just don't know enough to, like, come out and, and say one thing or, or the other on this. And, and, you know, I don't know. I guess I should just leave it at that but you know it, it's we're, we're, we're talking about the show and um and we do bring up the social issues that are in the show and everything and well know, i, I there, think there, there's certain like obviously as you've mentioned before there is a lot of there there is a lot of 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 venom on both sides of 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 the issue yeah so all right well maureen mentions lord masson's dialogue with mrs beecham his head of house about phones and communications and deliveries. And that could just as easily be about modern day Amazon because he has that line. Uh, so a thing is worth more based on how quickly you get it. Yeah. Right. Right. Yep. Yeah. Pretty much Lord. Yeah, um, Wayne, uh, Wayne, your comments about Malady's mouth. Actually, I think that might've been me, but your comments about Malady's mouth sores, that was within a week of Molly beating her, and almost all of Molly's punches were to the mouth, so I'm assuming it's damage. It also took me a while, but I think Cruz's turn is that he makes bullets. That gun is on his arm because his arm is supplying bullets, and that's not something I even considered. But then I think back to the scene after his, his gun has been taken from him, and you see it, his arm oozing yeah. what looks to be silver, and of course... I'm thinking, okay, it's something, you know, how many how many times have we seen an artificial intelligence ooze that white liquid, the, right. you know, the silicon or whatever well, it is? Well, Westworld especially, yeah. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, I, no, I, I, I did totally get that before. Uh, we just did, it never came up, but but yeah, there is that scene where he is uh, creating the bullets in prison there and everything, and then they, uh, then they let them out. And I guess probably the kind of gets overshadowed, the fact that he's getting let out of prison, which makes us forget about how he was just sitting there and uh, just having bullets ooze out of his body. She says the cold open visual of seeing Prim first, then the others is striking. They put a lot of thought into Primrose visual impact. 
And we haven't spent a lot of time talking about the visuals. Again, like we said, you know, a little while ago in the discussion, there's just so much here that could talk about this for, for months. I love how this episode is all about characters response to loss, except for maybe Hugo and how great is nimble. Yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely a character to uh, keep. Already, already a fan favorite. Uh, he's yes. only been in for like maybe less than five minutes, I think. But uh, right. but yeah. Now, she asked, did Malady kill the superintendent? I'm assuming not. I got the idea that even though we see a mark on his neck, that she didn't go all the way. So I'm assuming, no, she didn't. Yeah, I, I, I definitely did not get a feel that, that she did. I, especially when she said... I. I only kill angels when she does qualify that, but say mostly, but you know, um, but yeah, I I think the fact is that she, again, her intention here is, was not to kill anybody. I'm like now even talking about, I am like 98% sure that she, this was all set up because she intended to get, to get caught. She intended to get chained up in jail. That she right now is exactly where, she wants to be and intends to be okay um she brings up saint rumalda uh, which is the name on the orphanage does the orphanage's name have a deeper meaning and that's something that uh she brought into the facebook group so i'm not going to talk about it in any depth here if you want to look at the discussion and, and you know what i found out you can go to the facebook group and check that out but i will just say that the the way it's spelled on the orphanage there is I, I wasn't able to find a real saint. However, if you see that as maybe Whedon's deliberate misspelling of the name, there is a saint that has a name similar. So you can check out the website if you uh, or the uh, Facebook group if you want to look at that. You brought this up. When did you guys realize Lucy's behind the scene at the park? I have to admit I missed it. Laura Donnelly's amazing in this confrontation. The dialogue is exceptional, especially in what they don't know about each other. And when you consider Lucy's loyalty to penance, uh, and then will we ever see Lucy again? So some of those things, you know, you brought up about having an inkling, but uh, you don't think we will well, see I, Lucy I, again. I, I, the fir- I mean, the first time I saw it, I absolutely had no Lucy would have probably been very far from my mind as as being the person who was the you know betrayer. Um, it's just in in going back and rewatching it, like now you know again you notice things later um, when you go back and watch it again, and you know watching like the, you know on multiple occasions that that funeral scene, you can see that Lucy is way more upset than everybody else. Everyone is very sad, but she's the one who's just really openly weeping and looks hardly able to control herself. And, and, you know, which I, you know, again, the first time I watched it, I just picked up like she's very sad. She got close to Mary because, you know, know, she takes care of all the all the people in the orphanage. Yeah. Now, she also brings up the scene where Lord Masson gets the phone call that uh, his plan has gone awry. But to watch how he changes as he makes that oh wait that's not what was supposed to happen and and of course we're loving it and you know he's supposed to be this war strategist so uh you know zero for lord masson one for amalia true and the gang Mm -hmm. but perhaps even more importantly and i i i noticed this 
but I didn't make this connection. Maureen asks, has Penance created a deep fryer to make French fries and chips? Oh. Because you see them eating what are clearly, jeez, uh, what do you call them? I, I can't think they're, they're well, big French fries. I, yeah, well, French I fries. Be, I think we yeah, call them French fries. Yeah, but there's a, there's a name for them. Like steak fries? Like steak like fries, that? exactly. Right, right. That's yeah. what they certainly look like. Now, neither of us lives in England, so whatever. I don't know if that was a thing in 1899 or not, but e- even the container they were eating it out of looked like something you'd get if you went to the ballpark or or something like that so uh it right. looks like the french fries fried potatoes go back to um and this is just the first thing that popped up uh, around 1775 so, oh okay so um so i i mean i've i people i've made obviously not recently or probably not ever again but i've deep fried stuff just in like a pan you can make you know french fries Sure. Um, just by putting a bunch of oil into a, into a pan. So right now, the other thing that so many great shows do this, Maureen asks whether or not we know who the good guys and the bad guys are at this point. I mean, we certainly get the sense that the orphanage and and the touch that are there are are certainly good people, but it's a little unclear about Amalia now that. The the people that she has been left behind by, we don't know what their intention is. So, yeah, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't see her as. I, I mean, I, I see her as her motivation is to protect, right? Okay. And whereas Lord Masson's, if we take him as the quote unquote bad guy, well, his, sure. it was. I guess is also to protect in a way, but not protect people he's trying to protect the patriarchy and and you know the 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 system as it is but i you know i i i don't i really don't doubt miss mrs true at any points but 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 you can't i mean there are some sketchy things about her we've known before but i think overall she's just been so clear in, in her her desire to to help and protect the orphans Right, but could it be a, a situation where you know the mission is one way at the beginning? Although she says I was given a mission, but you know, not really, and I don't even know what my mission is. You know, just whole right, true. the whole lack of clarity there. But is it something that her opinions have changed as she's lived with these people, and that she's seen what they go through on mm-hmm. a daily basis, and now maybe? you know, that maybe she doesn't really agree with what the plan is or was. So I guess right. we'll see. Yeah. But, yeah. It's, it's too early to tell, I think. Yep. But thank you again for the podcast and discussion and encouraging feedback. Looking forward to your thoughts. Don't know how Dave isn't watching ahead. Trust me. Uh, it's tough. I watched <laughs> while being, you know, while it was released. And after each episode, I wished I could jump right into the next. Wayne's doing a great job of not giving things away. And I have a question for Dave regarding viewing episode six that I will ask next week. I think she amended that in a later, just a quick one. Well, I've, I've neither confirmed nor denied uh, that I've watched anything else than what we are, are watching right now. That's the stance I'm going to continue to take on this. Okay. I'll also be running for office next month. So There we go. All right. Well, let's hear what Fred's got for us, and we'll be right back. 
Hello Dave and Wayne and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for The Nevers, Season 1, Episode 4. Coming back to last week's podcast, it's nice that other people also give feedback and I like Maureen's feedback uh, very much last week. I just wonder, she said that Melody is only killing psychiatrists, but what about this actor that played Faust and she killed on stage? She slit his throat. I think he was no psychologist, but whatever. Thinking back about the episode of last week, you opened my eyes a little bit in the sense that I thought that this Odium guy, this big fella, one of the Beggar King's guys, was actually walking on the water. But hearing your podcast, I realized he was repelling water. And in that sense, he couldn't kill Amalia by just drowning her, putting her under, because his hands couldn't go into the water. And you had a remark about that, the silly chain with a hook on it. Probably just his only possibility to get to her if she's under the water. So, one, it gave me some insights. And two, it's the reason why he tried it like that. Now I also understand the remark that the beggar king made to Amalia and Penance uh, when they were sitting in that coach that Odium was smelling. And that smelling is, of course, he cannot wash himself. Because he's repelling water. You were also talking about the good writing and the fullness of this series. And the enormous attention to detail. And also what Maureen told us. That having seen the whole series. That there are many things that come later in the series. Are actually already there. But you just miss them. So... Every remark, every sentence you could put on a gold platter. And it really, really reminds me of Orphan Black. Also with a lot of possibilities to go in one or another direction. And if you watch that back, you'll also see that already hints given for things that happen later. And you just don't notice it because everything goes by in such an enormous speed. Okay, let's go into episode 4. Well, we learned that Mary was really dead. Odium seems not to be dead because Amalia says that he is probably with his grandma, licking his wounds. And we fortunately didn't go into some kind of addiction story with penance and opium, etc. We also don't learn anything more about the relationship between Melody and especially between Dr. Cousins and Amalia, and it's not something in the context of a love story, although Wayne thinks it is. I just think they did some weird stuff, some illegal stuff, etc., together, which will devastate Dr. Cousins' wife. And probably it even doesn't matter if these things happened before he knew her as his wife. It's just something about awful things he did and saying something about his character and in that guard his wife will look at him in a different way. Something like that. That idea that Amalia True is from a kind of other world has another indication in this episode because Penance and Amalia were talking about the funeral of Mary where Amalia was not and then Penance walking up the stairs together with Amalia saying, I don't know how many funerals you've been to. And then she says, 
we don't do funerals. We don't have the time and we don't have the ground for it. Who is we and to what is she referring to? Funny but also sad was that Miss Chataway asks Myrtle, Myrtle, do you want to talk? Well, of course Myrtle wants to talk, but nobody understands it. But eventually they got that resolved. I really wonder how it would be if Myrtle could write. Perhaps she can write, but of course in the 19th century a lot of children didn't write. If she could write, how that would look, and what Google Translate would make of that, with so many languages just mixed up. What is there in Inspector Mundy's past, being the East End ape, some kind of boxer, which makes these two purple purists very talkative? Penance invented the amplifier. Did Amalia invent crowd surfing, or did she just started a bar brawl? Nice that August and Penance reconciled, but it was a little soft piece of the story. Funny scene was when Penance and Amalia talk at the end and are eating potato chips that when Harriet, Myrtle and Miss Chetaway come in that they hide their potato chips. And I don't think because they are ashamed of eating junk food, but probably being very expensive in those days. But just a little later, they share it. And what's up with Mary's text, directed to Amalia True, as being a soldier. I think that it has something to do with that Amalia is constantly talking about that she is abandoned and that she's alone there. And this text shows something about that somebody is there for her, somehow. That's also the reason why it hits her so hard. Okay, time's up. Greetings, all the best. Fred from the Netherlands. I, you know, he brings up the fact that there's no progress in the cousins Amalia malady relationship that they clearly had in the past. And whether or not that's something that we will get down the road, I would like to know more. It just seems as if things are moving so quickly at this point and in a direction that maybe it's not important anymore, but I still wouldn't mind knowing more. Oh, Fred brings up whether or not Myrtle can write in English. And nobody I think ever... if she could, she would have, right? Yeah, I guess so, right? Yeah. Um, and and honestly, the the likelihood of her being literate at all is, is probably, at this point in history, I would say, probably still fairly low. It's being a working class female. Um, those two situations together would probably indicate that that she was and they, they said like what she was 13 or was it their sister someone was oh she like they, they her parents want her to go to like she was expected to go to work right right now we do see her with a pencil and paper she's producing drawings so right i i guess we could make the leap that well if she knows how to write she's got paper she's got pencil she would write sure so even clearly she probably can't write in another language either just because she can't write period so right okay uh fred thank you what do you want to do for a grade this week um i i'm willing Come to on, give you know you one. want to i, I mean, give it a, it's a, a you know okay. I, the, the first time i watched this the the lucy thing definitely uh threw me for a loop and and i like that i like things that i'm not expecting and then i go back and like okay now i get it kind of makes sense 
Yeah, I, I, they had everything. I, I'll give it the A. Sure. Good. So, all right. Well, Maureen, Fred. Oh, thank uh, you there's so also much. one thing about Fred's feedback because he oh, asked, okay. did, "Did Amalia invent crowd surfing?" So, if she is oh, from the yeah. future, maybe she's from the '90s. Oh. Okay. Yeah, she she is in the crowd surfing and mosh pitting, and maybe the songs that she would have liked to have heard that uh, they wouldn't play would have been like "Smells Like Teen Spirit" or something like that, or maybe some Pearl Jam and everything. I like nice, and 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 again, you bring up that that comment she makes about music, which blends into everything. So uh, yeah, right, cool. how cool would that be if they said play something to you? All right, and she just goes to the piano and bangs out smells like teen spirit and everyone's like that song is awesome <laughs> anything else you want to bring up before we sign yeah out? I, I don't know man we're we're like an hour and 15 minutes in dude let's that's, that's yeah. uh, i think we've there's there, there's still I'm, i know there's going to be things that probably we could go back and say but there's just so much in this episode that uh you know yeah, we're was, in dark territory here yeah yeah so we're even lost but uh Anyway, um, I did not just say that, by the way. You know, it, it's going to slip out every now and then. I'll just, I'm going to let it slide. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be that guy. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, leave it there. That will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Want to thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about the Nevers. Anything else going on in your genre world? Join the Facebook group if you haven't already. If you want to shoot us an email it is sci-fi tv rewatch at gmail.com we'll be back next week to talk about episode five of the hbo max series the nevers but until then yeah dave i don't care that's memorial day get back to work and i'll forget this happened no repercussions <laughs>